Well, let me encourage you to take out your Bible and your bulletin. There's an outline in your bulletin. And I got a question I want to ask you. We're, if we're Christians, we're disciples, right? Followers of Jesus. So are you satisfied with your walk as a disciple? Keala o Yesu means in Hawaiian, the path of Jesus. And for the last couple of years, we've been talking about this. We've developed a path that we believe will help followers of Jesus, all of us, to grow, to go on in our quest to become disciples. And just so we can easily remember it, we put it around four bases. And in the next, this and the next three sermons, I want to talk about each one of these bases and, and why each is essential to be uh, to growing as a disciple. The first, first base is called love God. And for each of these, we have developed a sentence which expresses not the epitome of all that that encompasses, but it's a first step, okay? Here's the sentence for love God. We grow to love God through biblical teaching and engaging worship in weekend services. Let me engage you a little bit. Let's say that together. Love God. We grow to love God through biblical teaching and engaging worship in weekend services. Now, there's more to loving God than that. But if we're not doing that, we haven't even begun to, to love him through biblical teaching and engaging in worship in weekend services. Do you remember in the Gospel of Matthew when Jesus was approached by an expert in the law of Moses? And this fella wanted to trap Jesus with his question. And here's how it's recorded in Matthew chapter 22. Teacher, he said, which is the great commandment in the law? There were 613 laws within the Mosaic law. And he, Jesus, said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. Jesus didn't hesitate. Why not? Because he knew that was it. In fact, he said, if you'll do that, and if you'll love your neighbor as yourself, you have fulfilled the entire law. All those 613 laws are wrapped up in those two. You know what Jesus was doing? He was standing squarely on what Moses had told the people of Israel just before they moved over into the promised land after 40 years in the wilderness. He told him in Deuteronomy 6, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and your mind. And Jesus now uh, shares this with this lawyer. But the big question for us this morning is, okay, if I'm to love God with my heart, soul, and mind, how do I know if I'm doing it? I mean, can you see it? Is love just a feeling? Isn't it more than a feeling? How do you measure love? A few weeks ago, Dee and I saw on 60 Minutes one Sunday evening, Anderson Cooper interviewing a professor from Emory University. Well, this professor and, and uh, Anderson Cooper were talking about dogs. By the way, how many dog owners do we have here? Okay. How many of you would say, I love my dog? Okay. Now, how many of you would say, I think my dog loves me. Okay. Well, that's debatable, and people have opinions on that. But uh, this Dr. Greg Burns, 
he has some science to back up his opinion. Because he has been, and he started with his dog, uh, giving MRIs to dogs to measure brain activity. And what he does, it's not easy to get a dog to just sit still for 10 minutes. And you need 10 minutes to get a real accurate recording so you can see that dog's brain on the computer. But when they do that, then they can stimulate that dog with various scents and sounds. For instance, they may take a cloth and uh, rub the uh, owner's uh, underarm uh, with that and have sweat on it. And, and that dog sniffs that. And you know what happens? In the reward center of that little dog's brain, it lights up. Just like when a human takes an MRI and they hear their favorite song or they anticipate seeing someone that they love. There's a reward center that lights up. Same thing in that little dog. And so they know now that that dog is responding. You may think, well, is that dog, when I come home and his tongue is lolling out and his tail's wagging and he's jumping up and down, is he glad to see me? Is he expressing his love or is he scamming me? He's just saying, it's time to be fed here, you know. Well, they said from this test that we now know that when a dog is actually looking at you, they're hugging you with their eyes. So dog owners, uh, that's been proven with a doggy MRI, and you, you were right. Your dog does love you. But what about us and our love for God? How do you measure that? I thought about asking the elders if we could maybe squeeze into the budget an MRI machine and we could just line people up. I didn't think they'd go with that. But actually, there is a way to measure our love for God. And the Old Testament speaks about it. The New Testament speaks about it. And Jesus was very specific about it. And I want to show you that to you through the Old and New Testament this morning and a couple of principles. They're right there in your outline. Here's the first. Encountering God's love produces a deep love in our hearts, compelling us to express our love in fully engaged worship. That's the first just expression that we love God, that we're fully engaged in worship. But before we get to that, I want us to go back to that first part of the phrase, encountering God's love produces a deep love in our hearts. You see, where does love for God come from? It comes from an understanding of his love for us. When we grasp the greatness of God's love for us personally and believe it, wow, that just elicits a love in our hearts. When we understand how great he is, how holy he is, how sinful we are, and his mercy and grace extended to us, how can we but love him? Some of you remember that account in Luke chapter 7 where, where Jesus is invited to the home of a Pharisee, a very highly religious man. And when he comes into that home, that guy is suspicious, you know, of Jesus. And he's not going to give himself away. He doesn't even give him the customary greetings. Doesn't even wash his feet, which was so just basic custom to do that. So they're eating, and here comes a woman, a sinner, probably a prostitute. She comes in. She sees the scene, and she sees Jesus' feet are dirty. She goes right to his feet, and she is weeping at his feet in repentance over her own sin. 
Tears are falling on his feet. She takes her hair and wipes his feet. The Pharisee, Simon, is incensed. He can't believe it. He's thinking to himself, how could he let her touch him? A woman like this. It says, Jesus answered him. He answered the guy's thoughts. And he said, Simon, and he told him a story about two people that were debtors. One guy owed just a little bit. The other guy owed a vast sum, but both to the same master. Long story short, the debts were forgiven. The one who owed the little and the one who owed much. And then Jesus asked Simon, he said, so Simon, who do you think loved that man more? And Simon said, I suppose it's the one who was forgiven the most. Jesus said, you got that right, buster. I mean, that's a paraphrase. He said, bingo, yes, hello. Those are all paraphrases. He said, Simon, yes, of course. This woman whose sins were many is forgiven because, and she loved much. And he who loves little, or he who is forgiven little loves little, but he who is forgiven much loves much. So if we don't really sense that we have much love for God, we need to revisit the depth of our sin because we may have been self-righteous, but we were far from the holiness of God. In our thoughts, in our actions, in, in so many areas of our lives. And we need to revisit the grace of God. His amazing grace that would save a wretch like me. The way we act sometimes, we should not be singing amazing grace, but ordinary grace. You know, how ho-hum the sound, you know. Well, no. When we understand that, that elicits a love within our hearts that first is going to issue in what? In worship. That's the first response to understanding what Christ has done for us when he forgives us. Now, I want us to unpack this concept of worship for just a few moments here. And I want to do so in Psalms. Because Psalms, you know, right in the middle of your Bible, that 150 Psalms, that's the Hebrew hymnal. That was the songbook of the Jewish people. And they sang about all kinds of different things and different topics. But many of them include worship. And some of them are exclusively about worship. And I could have chosen a number of them just to illustrate this, but I selected Psalm 111. And I want to show you something about worship here. And let's look for heart, soul, and mind in this psalm. See if you can see them. Here's the ver first verse. The psalmist exclaims, Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart in the company of the upright and in the assembly. What's engaged here? The heart. That's the emotions that are involved in worship, in loving God. The passion that comes forth. And it's not just personal worship. He says, in the company of the upright and in the assembly. Sometimes we say, well, I'll have my own private relationship with God and just personal worship. But you know what? Throughout all of Scripture, uh, personal worship, I believe, is preparation for corporate worship. Because when we come together, we experience more of God. And the more diverse a congregation is or a small group is, 
in terms of intergenerational or ethnic diversity or socioeconomically, the poor and the rich, the more we come together, we see God reflected through the lives of one another. And our corporate worship is even more powerful than our personal worship could ever be. And so that's where we begin to express our love for God is in worship. It comes from the heart, okay? Loving God with our heart. Verse 2. Great are the works of the Lord. They are studied by all who delight in them. Splendid and majestic is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. What's engaged here? The mind. Studying the works of the Lord and thinking, wow, how majestic, how splendid are his works and his righteousness. And then he goes into detail. And he says, he has made his wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, recounting his qualities. He has given food to those who fear him. He will remember his covenant forever. Just recounting God's acts and actions toward us and faithfulness. Now, Israel remembered their deliverance from Egypt. Well, they continually rehearsed that and talked about it. But also his guidance and provision, not only in the wilderness, but in the promised land and in their daily lives. For us, as followers of Christ, we remember our deliverance. We remember how we got saved. We remember our, our forgiveness from sin. But, but, but it didn't stop there. We remember and recite his faithfulness today. The way he moves in our lives, the way he guides us, the way he provides for us, the way he comforts us in our, our losses and sadnesses, the way he heals our diseases. We delight in his works because we think about them. We're engaging the mind and loving him as we do so. He goes on to say, he has made known to his people the power of his works in giving them the heritage of the nations. The works of his hands are truth and justice. All his precepts are sure. Supreme Courts can formulate their precepts, but they can no more change the definition of marriage than they can change the color of the sky. The precepts of the Lord are sure. In fact, he says in verse 8, they are upheld forever and ever. They are performed in truth and uprightness. He has sent redemption to his people. He has ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. Now the psalmist is talking about the Mosaic covenant where they were given the system of sacrifice and they knew that their sins were forgiven and that God was faithful and we would be with them. But all those sacrifices looked forward to the sacrifice of the new covenant when Christ gave his life on the cross. And now we know we are most blessed of all people because this God has not only revealed himself in the person of Jesus, he's redeemed us through the sacrifice of the Savior. Now that touches our heart and uh, our emotions as a result, our minds as we think about it. But what about the soul? When Jesus used that word, he's using uh, a word that is translated in the Greek, suke. And it's elaborate in its meaning, but you could reduce it to saying it's your life. It affects every aspect of your life. Your emotions is your heart, 
your, your mind would be your intellect, but your soul is life itself, the way you express yourself. And so when, he, when we love God, we express ourselves wherever we go in a worship service. It might be through singing songs to him. That's our soul, just expressing ourselves to God as well. It might be bowing or kneeling or, or maybe lifting our hands or our heads to the Lord. All of those are expressions of, of relating to him with our soul coming from our mind and our heart as well. And as important as those are, by the way, what's more important in loving God with our heart, mind, and soul would be how we live when we leave here. How we relate to our spouses, to our children, or parents, or community. How we relate in our workplace or on the campus where we go to school. We're expressing worship continually by the way we live. And that's loving God with heart, mind, and soul. He concludes this psalm by speaking directly about how we love God with our soul. In verse 10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. Now it's not just emotional. Now it's not just intellectual. Now it's doing something, engaging the world around us by obeying his commandments. Heart, soul, and mind. Tim Keller, a pastor in New York City, has a definition of worship that I think is just excellent. He says, Worship is the act of ascribing ultimate value to something in a way that energizes and engages your entire being. Isn't that powerful? What's most important to you? That's what we'll end up worshiping. He also points out that the world isn't divided into those who worship and those who don't. No, everybody worships. It's just that they worship different things. Some people worship God, the true God, and that's constructive because his ways are right and we'll be blessed if we worship and honor him because we love him. But people worship themselves. They worship possessions or position or a relationship and they worship all kinds of things that ultimately will be destructive. And we're capable of that too. Unless we understand the value, the ultimate value of God and put him first in our lives. And then we'll worship him. I saw this powerfully illustrated recently in a television show. You guys are going to think I watch a lot of television, but I was actually just walk, walking by the television when <laughs> Dee was watching the Antique Road Show here a while back. And it was amazing because there was a woman talking to the appraiser about a couple of things she'd bought. She bought a uh, little, uh, what'd she call it, a little vase and, and, and a, a larger jug. And she even had a picture of the jug, or I've got a picture of the jug, actually. There it is. And uh, isn't that beautiful? And so she was listening to this guy, and he said, wow. He said, that's extraordinary. He said, that is a presentation piece that was used in a large gathering. It would have been in the center of the room. There's two Roman numerals on it. It means it holds probably 20 gallons. And then he started describing it in detail. And I'll share some of the things he said. He said, this would have been circa 1860 Pennsylvania, Ohio area. 
And he said, look at the use of blue slip glaze here. Isn't that impressive? And the Albany slip glaze. And he said, and the application of the decorative elements, the lizards, which are the handles up there. And he turned it to show those, and they examined that and how intricately they are set on there. And the turtle down there, which is the spigot at the bottom. And then the dramatic portrait of a man, he said, with the coleslaw mustache and eyebrows and beard coleslaw and uh, wow he was just getting increasingly excited as he talked about this and he said this piece takes my breath away you see what's happening he was engaged personally with his heart and with his mind as he was talking about it and even with his soul as he was describing it he said it made my heart beat faster when I saw this in all my years of working in the auction business business I never saw a piece to rival it now listen to her response because I got a video clip that shows her response to this oh I'll tell you what I paid for it all right let's go there first um the two crocs together I just made a bid. Uh, I said I would give them $50. 50 And that's what I took them home for. Very good. Eh? The little crock I sold for $52.50. So I, <laughs> so I made $250, so and this is still, this <laughs> still got this. I think it's a wise move. Well, anyway, we had a little confab here among several experts that are kind enough to assist me in looking at this piece. And it's a little difficult to come up with a consensus, but I think easily the jug is probably worth in the area of, what, thirty dollars to $50,000. <gasps> oh, or, my gosh. Or more. <gasps> It's extraordinary. <laughs> Sorry. And, and I think I think it's, I, the top oh. side of the estimate. I don't think that I'm being um, aggressive with the estimate. I think it's easily worth that kind of money. It's just it, it's an extraordinary thing, and I'm so happy I got a chance to appraise it. I'm just I'm floored. <laughs> it's a pretty good buy, I'd say too. Yeah, I don't have anything in it. So. <laughs> Gee whiz. <laughs> Isn't that great? Wow. And you know what? That was a rebroadcast. That was originally shown in 1998. They said after this that today that same jug would be worth $130,000 to $150,000. But I want to tell you, that's a picture of worship. And I'll tell you why. Before, how much love did she have for that jug? But when she learned the value of it, you think she loved that jug more? She was fully engaged. That affected her heart. Did you see her go like that? It, it affected her mind. She was engaged listening to all this, and it certainly affected her soul. She jumps over and jumps on that guy. You know, I hope that was her husband. And then she uh, says, yes, you know, just like a fist pump after you parred that 18th hole. I mean, she was engaged. That's that's. Fully engaged worship. I'm not putting her down. I'm just saying that's a beautiful description of what it is to worship God, to engage the whole being. A lot of followers of Jesus, a lot of Christians are like she was before she understood the value of what she had. They, they have God. They believe in God. They'll say, well, I pray, but it hasn't really affected their lives. In fact, it's very possible for us to call ourselves followers of Jesus and say, I love God. Uh, come to church and just do some rituals. Bow and pray and, and uh, sing some songs. 
patiently endure the message and not engage our heart or our mind. And so what is that? That's not worship. That's just soulish. That's just going through the motions. It's also possible to go to a worship service and really engage the emotions. Put my heart into it. I'm laughing. I'm crying. I'm jumping up and down. But when I leave, it hasn't really changed me. And so I'm not expressing love for God through my soul. That's just an emotional experience. That's not worship. It's also possible, and some people are more prone to just know God on an intellectual plane. It's just rational thought about God. And they may be able to defend God and maybe even have an apologetic where they can uh, talk about various components or elements of God. But there's no heart involved, no emotion that is expressed. That's not worship either. Jesus said loving God, uh, expressing it, should include heart, soul, and mind. And it will. Now, think about it with this woman in that ugly jug. I mean, really, if she can express herself that way for that old jug, how about us when it comes to the Lord? Come on. I mean, we know the value if we study him and see what he's done, not only in history as revealed in the word, but in our own lives. And that calls forth passion, emotion, as well as Uh, uh, expressing it through our lives, loving him with heart, soul, and mind. So are we fully engaged? That song we sang this morning, that uh, I I was made to love him. You know, we we sang a, a phrase in there about, with all I am, I will bless your name. Were we giving it all at that point? Or were we like, 40% or 70%. Folks, when we come together for worship, it's not just for an inspirational pickup for me. This is for him. This is to honor him. And when we leave here and worship is a way of life, it should be the same because of his great value. I really got to go faster here. I'm going to close with this last point. Encountering God's love produces a deep love in our hearts, not only in worship, but also prompting us to respond to his commands with joyful obedience. How many of you like to be bossed around? No, we don't like that, do we? My wife, Dee, used to teach preschool here at Kaimuki Christian School, and I think without fail, she'd come home every year and tell me that one of the little kids had said to another child, you're not the boss of me. That was just a typical expression. And then they would say, God's the boss of me. I thought, well, that's great. That's where we need to get to. We don't, something in us recoils at being bossed around. Um, I don't like to be bossed around by D. She doesn't do that. You know, she's not a bossy person. But we don't like to be bossed around. And our culture increasingly doesn't like to be told what to do. Everybody can do what they want to do. In fact, in the book of Judges, It said that that was a period in the life of Israel where every person did what was right in his own eyes. Isn't that America today? Everybody can determine who they'll obey and what's really true. Truth has been sacrificed on the altar of ego and personal convenience. I mean, we have a confused culture, folks. Bruce Jenner can say, I feel like a woman. 
and my name is Caitlin. And he may be Time Magazine Woman of the Year. I, I, I kid you not. Our culture is confused, but Christians should not be. Because if we have come to understand what God has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ, and we've decided to follow him, then who's our master? Jesus. And we'll want to obey him, and he's given us commands to obey. First of all, he said the work of God is to believe in him whom he sent. Believe in Jesus. Understand what he did. And then he said to be baptized. That's the initial step of declaring publicly, he's my Lord. He's my Savior. Jesus went on to say, yeah, we're to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That'll keep us busy for a while. To love our neighbor as ourselves." But he also said, love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. Wow. He said that we are to, to give, that we are to um, just persevere in living for him. And he gave us so many specific ways in which we, which we can obey him and follow his commands. So how do we respond to that? Well, it depends. Because in John chapter 14, this is what he said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. We won't resent his commandments if we love him. We'll be glad to do what Jesus asked us to do and respond to those things. He also said this in verse 21, chapter 14. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and will disclose myself to him. So who loves Jesus? The one who joyful, joyfully obeys him. The one who says, what do you want me to do, Lord? I will gladly do that. And not only do we demonstrate our love and increase our love as we obey him, but he discloses himself more to us and we know more about him. And the more we love God, guess what? the more we're going to worship him and the more we're going to obey him. Now, I want to ask you this morning as we close, how much do you love God? Are you worshiping and genuinely giving yourself in fully engaged worship, not just when we gather, but through the week? And are you obeying him joyously? You know, we have those connection cards in the seat pocket in front of you, and there's all kinds of things to check on there. But I've got one up here, and I checked a couple things just for your consideration. It may be that some of us today need to say, you know what, I've been living a mediocre, average Christian life. Where's the love for God? Where's my worship? Where's my obedience? I, I need to commit my life to Christ. And you may literally need to check that box and toss it in the offering plate just as a declaration of your commitment to Christ this morning. Or you may check that in your heart and say, I'm going to do this and share this with someone and ask them to pray for you as you move on in loving God in worship and in obedience. I want to talk to those of you that haven't yet been baptized. Maybe you've been on the periphery of the church. Maybe you say, well, I believe in God and I pray, but you haven't been baptized. And my question would be, why not? I mean, if you look in the book of Acts, that was the first public response of saying, yes, I'm all in. I follow you, Jesus. I want to declare to the world that I am a follower of yours. And so I would challenge you, if you've never been baptized, 
If you haven't been immersed in the waters of baptism, just saying, I, I want to follow Jesus, check that. Put it in the plate, and let's have a baptism service. And uh, talk to one of us on staff about that. Whatever it is, don't we want to grow in our love for God? Well, we need to know how much he loves us. And as we understand that more, it'll reveal itself in our engaging worship and in our joyous obedience. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for revealing your love for us. We do love you because you first loved us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.